The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel, Woodbridge, Virginia. If I were to say to you, 10 years ago, I was married to a beautiful, beautiful woman by the name of Jan, I would be historically correct. But if I said to you today, I am married to a beautiful woman by the name of Jan, I would not be speaking the truth. Because six years ago, Jan died and went to her reward. Cancer took her. We understand in our day and age that there is a, a progression of time. Things do not remain the same. The temptation is when we come to Scripture to look at the Scripture as though it were timeless. That's simply not true. You would all agree. Jesus walked on the earth for three and a half years. There is linear time being spoken of here. And then he was crucified, and he was resurrected. And he was raised on the third day, and he went to heaven to his father. And then he came back, and he met with his disciples. There's a very clear understanding in our minds that there is a linear time involved. Now, as I come to the scriptures today, it is vital that you make a decision the decision you make about what I'm going to say to you today will determine where you will spend eternity in linear time. If you choose the first option, your case will be hopeless. The first option is is to believe your experience. It is to believe that the scriptures are not linear in their understanding. If you take the second option, you are clearly saying, Truth is established by the Word of God, by the Word of Jesus. And so truth established by Jesus reigns over any belief I have. A man said to me, 
You know, I don't believe that that Jesus will give me what I've asked of him. And so I'm going to go to the devil and ask him for it. I said to him, you are establishing the truth of your life by your own fleshly desires. The result will be catastrophic loss in your life. I position myself with you today, I pray, as standing by faith in the teaching of the words of Jesus Christ, not on my experience, not on my desires. My experience must measure itself against the words of Jesus and against the teachings of Jesus. Now, if you begin to get a hold of what I'm saying to you, you'll understand that day by day, as you live before Christ, you do not self-approve your life. But rather, your life must be approved by the words of Scripture. You must measure your life not against what you think or what you believe or what you want. You must measure your life against what the Word of God says. Now, it's very easy to compromise on this by making the Word of God non-linear. That is, by believing that the Word of God is always present now and there is no progression. I'm going to share with you what I mean by that in just a moment. In Matthew, the 14th chapter, Jesus has fed, in chapter 14, the 5,000 with loaves and fishes. They have come to him to make him, to force him to be king. He responds by urging his disciples to get into the boat and to go across to the other side so that he can send the multitude away, for he will not be forced to become king. After he has sent the multitude away, he climbs up the mountain by himself to pray. Now he's alone. But the boat is now out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it is being tossed about by the waves for the wind was against them. They were headed into the wind. Jesus continues to pray until the last watch of the night, perhaps 4 a.m. And Jesus, taking compassion on his disciples who are exhausted with the struggle against the wind and the waves, begins to walk on the water out to where the disciples are in the boat. As they see him walking, 
they are terrified that he is a ghost of death and their superstition is aroused and they cry out in fear they're terrified of this ghost walking on the water for fear it means that they are going to be lost at sea but jesus immediately calls out to them and says you must take courage i am you must not be afraid Then Peter answers the Lord and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I want you to note that Jesus did not tell him to walk on the water. It was his choice to put himself at great risk. Jesus said, well, come. Peter climbs out of the boat onto the water And he begins to walk on top of the water, not sinking. And he came walking toward Jesus. But the wind was especially violent, sending the spray flying everywhere. The waves were huge. And his heart became afraid or terrified. And because of his fear and not keeping his eyes on Jesus, he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, please save me. Jesus immediately stretches out his hand. He took hold of him. And he said to him, O of little faith, you doubted because of what? They climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. Now, would it be safe to say that this is a linear, time-sensitive experience? Jesus comes walking on the water. Peter says, May I come walk on the water with you? Come, Jesus says. The clock is moving. This is linear time. Time is passing. As he begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, please Sozo me. Please save me. He does not say, Lord, please saving me. He does not say a continuous action of saving. It is an event in time and space and history where he cries out, And Jesus' response is to reach out and grab his hand and pull him up, saving him. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus does not answer Peter. Don't worry, Peter. You can go ahead and sink and drown 
but on the great day of resurrection, I'll bring you forth from the watery grave. He does not say that. He does not say, Peter, I'm sorry, you're going to have to just live with this dying. No, he said, he saved him. Lord, please save me. Save me now. Save me in the present. Please save me. And Jesus, in time and space and history, stretched out a hand, took hold of him, and said, O you of little faith, you doubted because of what? And they walked together and climbed into the boat. And they then were safe. Now please, don't think I'm foolish for talking about this today. This is a vital concept that we need to address. Let's go back to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 24. But because he continues forever, that is, Jesus continues forever as our high priest, and we're going to go back not today, but later, into chapter 6, 5, 6, 7. But I want you to have this background so you'll understand these other passages of Scripture. But because he continues forever, that is, linear time, now and in the future, he will always be our high priest through eternity. He has an unchangeable priesthood. For which reason he is also able to save completely the ones coming to God through him, ever living to intercede in their behalf. He is able to save completely. Now, you remember yesterday in Luke 13, verse 11, I shared with you the story of the woman who for 18 years was caught in infirmity and sickness. She was bent over and could not stand straight up, but was bent way over. And Jesus, on the Sabbath day, called the woman forward in the synagogue, and he released her in verse 13. She was made straight. She was healed. She was able to stand up completely. Now, please, again, let's note don't think I'm being simplistic here, I'm not. But I want you to note that this woman, in time and space and history, walked into that place of worship, that tabernacle. She walked in, bent over. She walked in, 
held captive in the bondage of the devil. And Jesus, in time and space and history, released her from that bondage. The scriptures say, completely. In other words, all of the Pharisees, the scribes, they recognized that this woman was completely healed. She was no longer bent over. She was able to walk upright. She was completely restored. In time and space and history, she was made straight. She was healed. Now, I want to show you that this same truth applies to the disease of sin in your life and in your heart. Now, we need to be very clear. When it says Jesus saves, it is not continuous action. It is saved. It is finished in time and space and history. Go with me, please, to the book of Titus. To the book of Titus. I'm going to begin reading with verse 14. Titus, I'm going to read in verse 14. And let's be very clear. When I said earlier, and I'm going to turn back to it just very quickly. This this saving of Peter, this restoring of Peter was an accomplished fact. And I'm reminding you in Luke 13 it was an accomplished fact. And so when we come now to Titus atonement and redemption are two different things atonement is what Jesus did at the cross he paid the price but he did not pay the price for any man's sin who does not experience in time and space and history redemption some teach a lying gospel that Jesus finished 
everything at the cross. He did not. When you make the statement, Jesus finished everything at the cross, you are making time of no meaning. You are then walking in the light of your own experience and not in the Word of God, not in the Scripture. What Jesus did at the cross was the atonement work. And now in the heavenly sanctuary, as we will study later, perhaps this week or next, what he is doing is applying in time and space and history that blood to your life now in order to save you, to redeem you. It is not a continuous action. It is something that is done for you and in you as a supernatural work of grace. And so in the 14th verse of Titus, the second chapter, speaking of Jesus who gave himself in our behalf in order that he might redeem us from every every iniquity and might cleanse for himself a people as a possession, zealous of good works. I want you to notice and not just look at that as some flat, timeless reality, but recognize that there are time periods involved in what is being said. He gave himself in the past, in our behalf, in order that he might, in the future, redeem us from every iniquity, that is, in the future from the cross, for the present in your life. In our behalf, in order that he might redeem us from every iniquity and might cleanse for himself a people as a possession So there is a time when you are not a possession of Jesus Christ, and there is a time when you are a possession of Jesus Christ. It is time and space and history separated one from the other. There is a time when you are walking in your sin, and there is a time when you are set free of your sin. And to blend that together and say, I am always in my sin. And then to set some future time and say, when I die, I'll be relieved of my sin. That is to make death my salvation, my savior, my redeemer. Death is not our redeemer. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. We must be very careful then to understand what time is being referred to. And it is not based on our experience or our feelings. It is based on the supernatural work of God. There is an experience that goes with it. There is a transition that goes with it. There is a transformation that happens in it. But it is involved in the flow of linear time. Who gave himself 
in our behalf in order that he might redeem us from every iniquity and might cleanse for himself a people as a possession, zealous of every good work. You must speak these things, both encourage and and expose with all authority. Let nobody outthink you. Now, we have to think as I look at these things, for you have been taught a lie. If you believe that you can always be a sinner and still go to heaven, you've been taught a lie. When you've been taught that you must always be working on this sin, let me define very carefully out of 1 John, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is not a mistake. That comes out of immaturity. Immaturity is not sin. Infirmity is not sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It is a deliberate turning to darkness. Now listen carefully. Titus, the third chapter. For we were also once foolish, disobedient, being led astray, serving various kinds of lusts and pleasures, spending life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Now let's look at the time and space issue as I've explained it to you. For we were once also foolish. In other words, in the past, in the past, not now, but in the past, we were disobedient. If you are disobedient, you do not fit in what he's saying. If you are still walking in sin, you may call yourself a Christian, but you are not included by the Apostle Paul as being in Christ. You are out of Christ. You can go to church, you can stand even and be a pastor, and you can preach the gospel. But if you are walking in disobedience, if you are walking in rebellion against the Most High, if you have not submitted your life to the power of Jesus, if you have not been redeemed out of that life of sin, you are not walking in salvation, for you have not been saved. You are sinking in the water, and you are going to hell. That's what is being taught by the Apostle Paul. For we also, that is all of us, I confess, there was a time when I was very foolish. I was continually disobedient. And I was constantly being led astray by the lust of my heart, the ambition of my heart, the anger of my heart, I was pursuing that which pleased my flesh. I was filled with anger and envy. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted what I saw other people having, and I thought that was owed to me as well. I was hateful. I hated people. 
I was embittered by people. But when the kindness and love for mankind appeared from God our Savior, not out of the works by means of righteousness, which we, let's turn the page, did, in other words, not out of the law, not out of self-improvement, but according to his mercy, he delivered us. That word delivered in the Greek comes from the root word sozo, to save. In Matthew one twenty one, we saw that it was to deliver us from our sin, time and space and history, to deliver us from our sin. In Matthew fourteen thirty and thirty one, we saw today. It was to deliver from the waves. Peter did not stay in the sea sinking forever. He was delivered from the sea. It's the same word, sozo. In Luke 8.36, delivered from the demons, set free, saved, sozo. In Luke 18.41-43, delivered from blindness, saved. Time and space and history, saved. Sozo is a radical deliverance from something. In this passage, in Titus, it is deliverance by washing, by means of rebirth and renewal, as described as the work of the Holy Spirit. He delivers us, refers to full salvation. Note that salvation is viewed in Scripture in Acts 16.31 as initial salvation, then it is complete entire salvation in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It is progressive salvation in John 3.16. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 15.53-54, it is ultimate, total, complete deliverance when we no longer are part of this world but are finding ourselves being translated into the heavenly realm and we have arrived as Bunyan put it having crossed the Jordan we find ourselves at the celestial city and we find ourselves welcomed into the throne room of God now I want to go back and break down just a little bit more of this passage. He delivered us, past tense. This is speaking of those who have been taken out of sinfulness, out of rebellion, out of lust, out of the desires of the flesh and the pleasures of the flesh. This is speaking to a people who have been saved from sin who have been saved in time and space and history. Not a continuous saving. Saved like Peter was saved from the watery grave. The modern teachers want us to believe 
the legalism. They say grace, 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 but then they have countless workshops and seminars to tell you how you must live if you want the rewards of heaven. And they say, oh, it's not for salvation. It's to get the rewards, the crowns, all the goodies when you get to to heaven. What utter foolishness. What lies. What cheapening of the grace of God. What, what cheapening of the blood of Jesus Christ that will save us now from sin. I hope as I'm sharing this, there is a rising sense in your heart of the incredible love of Jesus Christ who is willing to grab a hold of you and pull you up out of the sin and degradation and wickedness of your life. Now watch. How does he deliver us? By a washing by means of rebirth. Now, what I want you to see is that this phrase describes by what means he delivers us. It is a washing. It is a picture of the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with ritual or ceremony or baptism by water. Look at Romans 6 verse 3. This washing is real it is transformational it is life-giving it is the work of the holy spirit described as regeneration not simply birth but rebirth it is restoration to the former state of holiness it is a restoring of the image of god within us we are taken once more to the full likeness or similarity of Jesus Christ as found in Romans 8, 29. Now, I shared with you yesterday there are a number of ways the New Testament speaks about this powerful work supernatural work of God in our hearts. He speaks about it in John, the third chapter, as being born from above. He speaks about it as denying yourself and taking up your cross and being crucified with Christ, an end to your life, Romans, the sixth chapter where your life stops. It is not where your life continues in time and space and history. You continue walking in wickedness and malice and bitterness. You continue walking in the lust of your flesh. No, it is a transformational experience. It is a metamorphosis. You become a new creature in Christ. This is what is available for you. And if you do not have this time and space experience where you are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, you cannot be saved because you cannot be in Jesus and in sin at the same time. 
You cannot be in New York City and in Washington, D.C. at the same time. It's impossible. This is why it is so vital that we identify in Scripture the time, the space, and the event so that we don't homogenize them all together and come up with some experiential work of God that lets us and causes us to continue to walk in our sin and never be saved. Many of you, as I'm speaking to you, have not ever been born again. You have in the flesh tried to live a righteous life, and you are still trying but you have not been transformed into the likeness of Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that this experience is available for you. And without it, you cannot be saved. Now, I've been emphasizing your need to come to the National Prayer Chapel. Some of you need to come and spend a short time with us. Some of you need to come and spend a lengthy amount of time with us. You need to be around other men and women who have experienced this transformational change in their lives. You need to hear their experiences. You need to have them talk with you about this and pray with you about this. Some of you have experienced this change and found yourself unwelcome in your sinning Christian church because they scorn the possibility of time and space a change happening. Instead, they blend everything together and make everything constantly the same throughout the entire experience of life. Until, of course, you die, and then they say, suddenly you become righteous. They're lying to you. My father, a godly man, a preacher of the gospel, a lay pastor, He used to say to me something that I puzzled over as a child and did not understand until many years later. He said, your last day on earth, Raymond, you will be the same person as your first day in heaven. The only difference will be you will have the divine new birth body. You will have the body of Christ, the risen body. But your character will be the same character as your last day on earth. You will not change in your character as you are changed in the twinkling of an eye and taken into the heavenly realms. Your last day on earth will be the same character as the first day in heaven. That's absolutely vital for you to understand. Some of you are struggling. You weep before God. You keep going back to your alcohol. You keep going back to your fornication. You keep going back to your anger and your bitterness. You keep going back to your sin. But you're trying. The reason you're still trying is because you love your sin and do not want to die and be born from above and lose forever your own power and authority over your life. 
Because when you have this divine experience in Jesus Christ, your life no longer belongs to you. Your money doesn't belong to you. Your wife and your children no longer belong to you. They belong to Jesus Christ. And you want to hold on to these things and still be the master of them and still walk with Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. It says, he delivered us by a washing by means of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly by Jesus Christ our Savior. This is a time and space and history experience. This is not a continual ongoing experience. You are changed, you are transformed, and from henceforth you walk as a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have been made righteous by the grace of the one, and we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, there was a point where you were not an heir of Jesus Christ, you were an heir of the devil. And many of you have been taught that all you have to do is say, Jesus, I give myself to you, and you're saved. Not true. I listened to a preacher yesterday. He said, look, you can be saved right now. All you have to do is say this sinner's prayer after me, and you're saved. It's not true. It's a lie. If you want to be saved, you are going to have to be transformed and changed by crucifixion. You're going to have to be transformed and changed by your dying to your life and living a new life in Christ Jesus. And this is a supernatural work of grace that God will do in you. But it's going to require that you allow him to do it and you repent of your sin Repent meaning turn away from your sin. It is, frankly, a rather quick process if we allow it to be. Remember, Hebrews 7, verse 25, for which reason he is able to save completely. Finished work. Done. Saved. Sozo. And now... Literally, we are children of light. We are heirs according to the hope of eternal life in Titus, the third chapter. Now, I keep saying this to you. You need to come out of that entertaining place, out of that sinning Christian place that teaches you to go by your experience and your feeling and come under the discipline of the washing of the blood of Jesus and be transformed and made into the likeness of Jesus. And that's not going to happen if you're not hearing the straight word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not by the hearing of and the flesh of man, not by the words of man, not by the preaching of man. 
but by the straight word of Jesus. I live by the word of Jesus, not by the word of the lying teaching of our day of the sinning Christian. Now I'm going to give you our address. Some of you are going to say, but pastor, I can't drive that far. You'll drive whatever distance you need to drive to get to a place where you can find the fullness of salvation in Jesus Christ, where you can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, where you can be confronted with your sin and changed. And I'll be very honest, we've had people come to the prayer chapel and they have become very convicted, and then before they're transformed and changed, they decide to head back to their old, same old, same old, And then they're calling me drunk or they're calling me weeping over their condition and expecting me to sympathize with them. Are you kidding me? A dog returns to his vomit. A pig returns to the wallowing in the pig pen. I don't want you to do that. I want you to come out of it. I want you to be separate from the world and separate from sin and recognize that we are on a journey to heaven. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a narrow road. It's not a broad highway. And some of you love the broad highway, but the broad highway leads you straight to hell, not to heaven. This is not a work done by legalism it's not a work done by my flesh it's a work done by the power of jesus as i submit to him and allow him to remove from my heart the wickedness by his precious blood washing me and making me clean so let me give you the address for the national prayer chapel we meet on tuesday evening and we meet on sunday at noon 12 noon On Tuesday evening, we begin to pray at 6.30, and we pray until 7.30. Many cannot come that early because of work, and so they come at 7.30 or quarter of 8 because of heavy traffic. But they come, and we pray. And then we share together and hold one another accountable together based on the Word of God, not based on feelings. And then on Sunday... At 12 noon, we gather to pray, and we pray until 12.30, at which time we gather to begin what we call praise and worship, which is giving testimonies of God's goodness or confession of sin, repentance, a scripture, or a song of praise and worship. The mic is open. People come and simply share what God has given them. And then after that, we come together for the preaching of the Word of God. Let me give you the address. It's the All Saints Anglican Church. We rent from them. They're a wonderful, wonderful family that welcomed us in, and also Emmanuel Anglican Church two wonderful Anglican churches that have just put their arms around us and given us a space for the National Prayer Chapel by a gift of grace. That All Saints Anglican Church is located at 14851 Gideon, 
drive. That's Gideon, as in the Old Testament hero of faith. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Drive around to the back side of the parking lot, the back side of the church, and you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in the double glass doors, ground level, and as you come in, you'll find on the left-hand side the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel. If you come on Tuesday evening, come in the same doors, come up the stairs to the office, and there you will find a large conference room, and there you will find us praying. You're welcome to come. We welcome sinners and we welcome saints. Now, let me give you the phone number in studio, and I have time for maybe one call or two calls. 877-534-0780. If today you're under conviction and you need me to pray for you, we have five minutes left in the broadcast. We won't have much time to talk, but I will pray for you. 877 534-0780. Now, if the word that is spoken is enriching to your heart, participate with me in this matter of giving. We're pushing $4,000 this month to be able to pay for the radio broadcast. I thank many of you who have already given, but we need many more to give. We are still a long way from having the resources to pay for this month's radio bill. This is a faith operation. So as the Lord moves in your heart to give tithes and offerings, please send them to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. Let me give you that address again. Send your tithes or offerings for the covering of the cost. See, I believe that the work of God should be covered not by sales gimmicks, not by fundraising, but by the free will offering of God's people. Every penny you give will go directly to pay for the radio broadcast cost. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And God bless you as you step forward and are generous in your giving and the giving of tithes. By this, we're able to continue month by month on the air. Each month, God has moved in your hearts and prompted you to give I praise Jesus for this because I believe this message I'm proclaiming needs to be heard across the city of Washington, D.C. In fact, we need to transition to the FM side of the dial, but it costs a great deal more money. I'm waiting on Jesus for those financial resources to be able to make that transition. If you'd like to help make that be possible, Please step forward and honor the Lord and the word of God that's proclaimed. 
Now let me pray. Almighty God, I have spoken today what you've put on my heart in a very logical step-by-step process. I pray, Lord, that this has pierced the heart of your people. For you love the sinner and the saint and you desire that no man should be lost. But Lord, today many are walking in a false comfort of Gnostic belief that they can walk in their wickedness and still be saved. Lord, I pray that you will make clear these issues in their hearts, that your people would turn away from walking in what they think or what they believe or what they feel, and instead they would turn to the Scriptures and walk in accord with the straight word of the living God as prompted, as quickened by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, would you come in power now and give your people understanding of these serious issues? I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley, the National Prayer Chapel. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Please come and visit. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find even a map for how to get to the National Prayer Chapel. I'm eager to meet you and to pray with you and to hear your testimony. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk with you soon.